The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. And we are now, let's see, a little over a month, six weeks, five and a half weeks, something like that into the season, which means, Pete, we've moved from small sample sizes to like only kind of small sample sizes. And so it's the (laughs) perfect time to cut that small sample size in half and just... I don't know. Make, make it small again. Sizes. Make yeah, it small yeah. again. We got you know we got so comfortable in that small sample size space, and we're not ready to leave it yet. But what we actually want to do today is take a look at players who have turned things around for the better or the worse. Right? There were a lot of guys who, when we looked at those small samples two, three weeks ago, you're going, "Wow, this guy's killing the ball!" Or, "Geez, this guy can't hit at all." And they've they've looked really different the last two to three weeks, and it's time to start to figure out like is an upward trend just a hot streak is an upward trend. A guy you should be buying on is an up is a downward trend, you know, reason to bail on someone. And I think we should start. I don't know. Do you think we should start with the, the upward stuff? Cause you know, let's start on a positive note or do you think we should save the good stuff for later? What do you think? The nice weather's here in the Northeast. So I kind of want to, want to start positive sun's out. Here we go. Yeah. We had, we had a sunny day in the Northwest yesterday and now I've got a, I've gotten all, we got rain again and I've got, today is not a good day for rain. So maybe you can send some positive weather vibes my way (laughs) as we talk about these guys. So to start off here, I I pulled together a a spreadsheet and this is, this is very, very basic analysis. So don't take it for any more than it is, but I literally cut off the season at April 24th and April 25th and took a look at guys who had the largest change in WOBA in the period before versus the period after that time. And so when we're saying that somebody has been, you know, hot lately, it's literally just since April 25th, their WOBA has increased, has been much higher than it was before. Now, some of these names, Pete, I, you can tell me if you have anything to say about them, but like Giancarlo Stanton and Kyle Tucker are hitting much better now than they were before. I don't think there's a lot to say there. Those guys are just good hitters. Yeah, no, you're right. That, that, that's definitely true. And there, I don't think there's literally anything to say for Kyle Tucker. It just seeing Stanton do this, even as a Red Sox fan, it's exciting, right? Because like, I feel like he's been gotten unjustly ridiculed constantly since he's arrived in New York. And yet he's been one of their more consistent and awesome producers. It's showing not only in the fantasy stats, but in the standings in MLB as well. So 
um, don't underestimate Stanton being capable of putting forward, you know, a top 20 hitter season because that's obviously still in that bat. And that shows in the quality of contact. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at what he's he's been doing, we'd be talking about him as like, is he having a resurgent sort of MVP kind of season if it weren't for the fact that the other very large power hitter on that team, one of the other very large power hitters on that team is maybe better right now. And that's Aaron Judge. So I I don't think from a fantasy perspective, keeper leagues, anything like that, like Stanton's really good. When he's healthy, he's really good. He hits lots of home runs. He gets on base in an incredibly high clip. He hits front. Like he does everything. He's a very good player. We know that. Similarly, Kyle Tucker, if you were panicking about his slow start, like that's on you. <laughs> there was no reason to be panicking. Everything looked good under the hood and and yeah. But there are some guys who have who have turned things around in the last couple weeks that are more surprising, <laughs> I would say. Um I, I want to start with as long as we're talking about Yankees, there was a lot of hand-wringing about Joey Gallo. And Joey Gallo, as of the utterly arbitrary April 24th cutoff I set when I did this analysis, had a 209 WOBA. It has been 417 since then. Uh, he had he took forever to hit a home run. And now that he's hit one, he's got, was he a four now? Five now? He's um, at four. He's at four. Where are you on Gallo? I mean, are, are you like, I don't, I don't think that anyone expects his, you know, 2019 season where he put up like the 253 average to come back. But are you concerned about Gallo? Do you think this is a hot streak and people should sell him while they can? Um, No, because I don't think you're going to get anything for him. I think he's a, re- he's been so bad for so long, really ever since he became a Yankee, he's been legitimately terrible. Um, I think I think if you took him, you're holding on and what you're banking holding on to him on is the fact that like the exit velocity is still there. The walk rate is still there. Like he looks when you just look at the very simple like surface stats, he still kind of looks like the same guy. And so you just hope that this is a little bit of a prolonged slump. And I'm sorry, but for players like Joey Gallo, slumps are really bad like a slump for Juan Soto looks bad a slump for Joey Gallo looks like this guy should be playing t-ball um and so like if you've dealt with it to this point I don't think you can jump ship because I don't know too many managers that are looking to pick him up I'm in a few very competitive 12 team leagues and he was dropped in a couple of them so if you've held on to him to this point now that he's starting to hit I mean if something comes along your way that you want to you want to move on from him for sure but I don't think you're really going to get fair value because I don't know if we know what fair value for Yankees Joey Gallo actually is. Are you in those places where he's been cut? Are you picking him up? I did in one of them, um, and I've been able to just stash him on my bench, but it's very short benches. And so if you get in a position where you're forced to play Joey Gallo, then you've really got to consider cutting him because when he's bad, he's really bad. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I, I Part of this is, you know, I play mostly in OBP leagues, right? And in OBP leagues, he's he's not the good version of Joey Gallo. Even forget the great version, that 253 average from 2019. Even the good version of Joey Gallo that we expect is much more valuable in OBP leagues. I, I've been, you know, digging into what's going on with him. You know, the first few weeks of the season, he was running like a 35% O-swing. It's been down to 30% under 30, 29% actually since April 28th. It's been down to, 
to 29%, which is, you know, versus a 35% before that is a, is a pretty significant change. That's still high for him, right? So the thing about Gallo is like, he isn't a free swinger, right? The strikeouts come because he has a lot of swing and miss in his game, not because he's a free swinger. Is most of his career, like if you look at the seasons before he got to New York and he was, let's see, let's go back to 2018. He had a 32.2% O swing, then 24.2, 22.7 in 2020. In 2021, he was running a 23.3% O swing before he got to New York and it was down to 20% in New York. And then it went up to 32.9% this year so far. That is starting to trend back down. And I think that part of what happened with Gallo, you know, you, you hate to say that like the pressure was getting to him because like we don't know these guys. I can't I can't talk to his state of mind, but that is the kind of thing you'd expect to see a big jump. His his Z swing was up too, right? So his, his swing on pitches in the zone was up too. That is the kind of thing you see when a guy is pressing. And it, you know, the Guardians, I, I watched a handful of Yankees games because the Guardians played the Yankees in the early part of the season. And Gallo just looked like he was just trying to hit home runs. He was just out there like he was getting booed and he just like he looked like he just wanted to get out of this slump. Now that he's out of it and he's getting a little more patient again, I think he reverts to what we expected him to be. But do, does it in, you know, he had a down he had a little bit of a downstroke in power. It seemed in Texas starting in 2020 in that new park. And now he's in a great hitters park again. I, I just don't think this is what Joey Gallo is. I think that he's, I I think he's going to go back to being a guy who gets on base at a, you know, 340 to 350 clip and hits, you know, at a 40 home run pace the rest of the season. He won't end up with 40 total, but hits at a 40 home run pace the rest of the season. So I'm buying. I think, you know, he because I play mostly in OBP leagues, people have held him a little bit longer, but he's a free agent in at least one of my leagues where I'm trying to figure out if I've got the cash to pull together to buy him because it's a it's an auto new league where he was like 31 bucks. And so it's going to be a $16 minimum bid. And so I got to piece that all together. But you know, if I can get Joey Gallo for a discount right now, I, I want to do that. I think, you know, I, I think the power is still real. I think that lineup is very, very good. And so the runs and RBIs will pile up for him. And I think he'll get back to getting on base like we expect. Yeah. And I mean, you hit the nail on the head, right? With the, the differences in leagues, if it's an on base percentage league and, and Chad's projection is right. And honestly, I, I don't think I disagree with that at all. The idea that he's going to be a three, four to 350 on base guy and on a 40 home run pace the rest of the way. I, I can totally buy into that. And if that's true, then he's probably a top 100 player in on-base leagues going forward. His biggest downfall, other than speed, obviously, is batting average. And so if batting average doesn't entirely matter because the guy walks at a 15% clip, he's super valuable. And I, I wouldn't look at his BABIP and say, like, oh, well, he's got a career-high BABIP right now. That's unsustainable. His line drive rate is at a career high. So for what that's worth, maybe that BABIP's a little bit sustainable, um, and instead of a 340 to 350 on base guy, all of a sudden he's a 350 to 360 and he's that much more valuable. So you kind of convinced me there. Um, not that you should need much convincing for on base leagues, but for on base leagues, he's still a, he should be rostered. He should not be dropped in leagues that, uh, are on base leagues. Let's jump to another name. This is a guy, Pete, you, you pounded the table for him quite a bit last year. He delivered for you was ugly to start the season, but doing better now. That's Brendan Rogers. 
Yeah. What, I what mean, you, where are you on Brendan Rodgers right now? He kind of delivered for me last year, I guess, right? But by then, by the time he started really delivering, I think a lot of people had jumped ship. Um, I want to like him. I do. And and it's promising to see him hitting. But the, the one place I'll look for Brendan Rodgers is where, where are the ground balls relative to fly balls at? Um, and it's actually kind of a somewhat promising trend. So in April, the ground ball rate was 53%. But so far in May, and that's an even shorter sample size than what Chad started this with. Chad's differentiating point was, was it April 25th, Chad? Yeah. Yeah. So mine is is just the beginning of May, and it's only May 15th. But, I mean, we're looking for anything with Rodgers, especially if we invested, you know, a top 17 pick or so in, into him. Um, that ground ball rate in sorry, in May is now down to 44%. The fly ball rate jumped about eight percentage points as well. And that's kind of what I've been hammering on all along is like, this guy's a pretty talented hitter. So get the ball in the air and pull it. Um, And if that is in fact what he's starting to do, and it has shown very briefly in this tiny sample that we're dealing with, that that there's more power coming along than, uh, than sure. But part of the problem is I just mentioned his pull percentage. Well, so far that's dropped about 10 percentage points from, from April. So it, he's a hard player to pin down at this point. Uh, you know, it's, it's such a cop out to say the sample's still too small. It's obviously promising that he's starting to hit. He's now like brought himself back from droppable territory. I think if you invested a lot in him in the draft and he's now starting to hit, there's no reason to drop him, but am I buying him? Man, I need to see more before I part with assets for him because if the ground ball rate just continues to be an issue, then I'm sorry, there's not a lot here. Yeah, so I'm looking right now at a graph of his 15-game rolling ground ball and fly ball rates dating back to 2019. And not only are things sort of trending down, but his, like, he, uh, a few days ago, April, a week ago, I guess, a little over a week ago, April 6th, he posted what is very close to, if not his career low rolling ground ball rate. Wasn't quite to a career high rolling fly ball rate, but things are moving very much the right direction in terms of him elevating the ball. I think in in deeper leagues where you can bench him on the road and just use him at home, He's a no-brainer, and you should be you should have him on your roster. Like again, he's another guy I've seen dropped in a bunch of places. And as long as you've got the bench depth to just platoon him, basically, um, if he's elevating the ball at cores, he's going to hit home runs. Like they'll, they'll come. Um, other than that, I, I still don't know. I think you're right that he's just he's a hard guy to pin down. I don't know that I really trust him enough to want to start him regularly away from cores. Um, and so even in, in some of my deeper leagues where I theoretically have the space just to, to platoon guys like that, like I've got a couple leagues where I invested in Charlie Blackman. I got a couple leagues where I have Randall Grichuk. At some point, I feel like I have too many guys that I like can't start on the road. And, and, and if the, if you have like five Rockies, even on an auto new roster with 40 players, if you have five Rockies, when they go on a long road trip, you just go through like a week, 10 days where you can't use any of them or you don't want to use any of them. It's, it's pretty frustrating. And so Rogers so far has still been sort of on the outside for me, but I don't know. I, I I'm, I like what I'm seeing in terms of him trying to elevate the ball. I do think he's a useful player. He had a very good season last year, and I don't think there's anything in that that I'm like, 
there's nothing in a season last year that jumps out at me. It's like, no, he can't do that again. So I, I feel like he could repeat that. And he's second base and shortstop eligible, at least in he, he is in auto new. And I think he is in, in other formats as well. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty valuable, right? Even a part-time cores inflated second base shortstop eligible player is, is a real nice piece to have on your bench if you've got the bench depth. So I think I'd be buying Brendan Rogers holding if I've got him, but I'm not, um, I'm not running out to add him. I, I think is where I am. Like if I need a, if I need middle infield and he's available, I would go get him. I would trade for him cheap in that situation as long as it's deep enough roster. But like in an OBP league, I'm going to get Gallo. If I can go get Gallo, at a decent price in an OBP league, I want to go get him. Rogers is more opportunistic. If I can get him cheap, then yeah, I would take him, but I'm not, I'm not going to go fighting for him. Yeah, I agree with that logic. And and in five by five, I actually view them very similarly where I invested, I invested a decent amount in these players in the draft. And so if now that they're starting to hit, I'm going to hold on, but I'm not looking to actively go buy them because I still need to see more. And especially from Rogers, because we really haven't seen it in a full season from him at all. Whereas with Gallo, obviously we have. Yeah, for sure. So another name, a guy who we've definitely seen a full season from before, but it's, it's been a little while. Mike Moustakis. So Moustakis now he turns 34 later this year. He, you know, he had some, some very good years with, with the Royals had a couple of good years after leaving in 2019 and 2020, but was really, really bad last year, really bad last year. And this year, you know, his hit, like his walk rate is, is still not back up to where it was at its, at its best. His strikeout rate would be a career high if he continues with the strikeout rate he's got. But the last few weeks, he's been really good. And if you, if you look at his, Line on the season, on the season, he has a 331 Woba, which isn't too bad, but it's been up at 446 over just 32 plate appearance. No, not 32, sorry. 446 over uh, just about 60 plate appearances since late April. So, you know, again, small samples here, but do you think Moustakis has turned a corner? Are we going to get back to, you know, he's not going to maintain this like, you know, he's been in a, this insane 446 Woba for, for like three weeks now. That's not going to stay. But is he going to be back to putting up like a 340, 350 Woba, putting up, you know, a, a 30 home run pace hitting in Cincinnati? Or are we are we just seeing sort of the, the dead cat bounce from a, a guy who's past his prime? Yeah, I, I think it's more the latter. Um you know, looking at his, it looks like his timing is still off despite the recent hot streak. I mean, his his pop-up percentage is 22.4%. And that explains why when you look at his stat cast page, it looks like he's swinging a toothpick because everything is 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 blue. Um, definitely interested in the ballpark. You know, the fact that he's there. If he was in Colorado, I guess I'd have the same kind of feelings. Like, okay, he even with all of these issues and with the timing and his age, maybe he's still, you know, going to be capable of putting up some homers the positions that he's eligible at are really bad. Um, so there's that, but 
I don't I don't have a whole lot of interest in Mike Moustakis. I mean, I shouldn't say that I have bought him in a few leagues just because I was surprised. You know, it's Mike Moustakis and he's healthy and he's available and he's he's playing in Cincinnati. Um, but it does look like his timing is off. He is much older now. He's 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 several years removed from fantasy relevant production. Obviously, the most recent year being in 2019 when he was actually really good. But since becoming a red. It's it's been bad, um, and so I'm going to need to see a lot more, like more from Mustakis than I would have needed to see from Rogers or Gallo to kind of continue on with these three player comparisons. Um, but if he does have a strong May, then he's a guy with a track record in a ballpark where, like you know, sure. But uh, at this point, no, not enough, especially with those bad that bad at ball data. Yeah, I mean he he was out from April. 18th he played on the 17th didn't play again until the 28th he had you know hit the 10-day il came back and that's really when he's been he's been performing better and as i look at sort of what he's done since then his strikeout rate is way down his walk rate is up that that's good his bapip is way up but like his infield fly ball rate is it's down but it's still 20 percent since he came back his the the K rate he's still chasing a lot the the bigger improvement i guess in his K rate is because his contact rate is up which is good but like you said the hard contact i don't know like his hard hit rate on the season is 26.2% it's 28.6% since he came back now with fewer swinging strikes like that that deflates that a bit right it, it downplays the fact that you know that twenty the the twenty six point two percent of the season includes a lot more strikeouts than the twenty eight point six percent since late April, Be- and because of that, he's getting hard hits in more of his plate appearances, even though it's not really a lot more of his batted ball events, and, and so that is a good sign. But I don't know, I, I'm sort of the same. It's like there's still too many pop ups, there's still too much soft contact, uh, and I'm just not. I don't know. I'm not sold on this because of that. And like, I, you know, he's a first base, third base guy, depending on your, your league. And there's a lot more depth available at those positions than, than there are at others. And I, I don't know. He's not going to earn other eligibility. Like he's not going back and playing second base again. He's been DHing a lot lately. He's played some first base. He'll probably be locked in at third base at third base once Votto is back for third base or DH, I guess. I, if he gets cold, he also is like, you know, one of the guys we're going to talk about later when we get to the guys who are performing really well right now is Brandon Drury. And Jonathan India should be back. And so Drury is going to not be able to play second base. And Drury and Moustakis are both sort of probably best fit at third base. Uh, and then you're going to Votto back taking over first base. And I don't know. I, I'm not like he just strikes me as the kind of guy who like, yeah, it's a hot streak right now. If you've got him on your roster, ride that hot streak. If if he's a free agent, you want to try to ride that hot streak. Fine. Go pick him up. But like, I'm not giving up a lot for him. I'm not a big believer. There's just too many, too many continuing red flags for me. And I do think there's a good chance that, you know, as this team gets healthy and Senzel comes back and Fraley comes back and Votto comes back and India comes back, if Drury keeps hitting and Moustakis gets cold, he could be out of a job. Or he could yeah. get traded. And if he gets traded and ends up in a less positive park, then I don't know. So I'm not 
fine. Ride the hot streak, right? I'm never going to tell you not to ride the hot streak, but it as soon as he shows any signs that the hot streak is over, just move on. For sure. I, I mean, he's owed $18 million next year. So like, I don't even know a team that would bring him on, but you're right. If he does get traded, that would be devastating. And he's got three barrels and 58 plate appearances. The third base eligibility is nice. First base doesn't matter, but you brought up maybe he could see time elsewhere and I'm with you. He's not going to, he's played second base one, one game at second base since 2020. So he is, uh, you're right. When those guys get healthy and I expect Drew to keep hitting, he's, he's toast. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk Drury as long as we've, we've brought him up now. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he, it's hard to even like call this like a bounce back or anything like no. Drury. He, you know, he's not, He's not nobody, right? He's he's been around a while. He's almost thirty years old. He's been in guess the league his ADP. For, oh, I I mean, <laughs> give it a guess. Irrelevant. Six hundred and forty three. <laughs> One thousand two hundred eighty nine. <laughs> I tried to come up with something ridiculous. I mean, that like I you know I played in a bunch of like like I played in like a fifteen team NFBC leagues. I played in a bunch of auto new leagues. Like those are leagues that go you know four hundred and fifty five hundred players deep and. I don't remember him ever getting picked in any no. of my leagues. So I'm not surprised. Uh, this isn't a guy who like, like his best era, if you want to call that was 2016, 2017 with Arizona over those two years, he posted a 330 Woba. Um, that's about as good as it's gotten for him. <laughs> and now early season, right? He's only got 113 plate appearances so far. He has seven home runs, a 260 average, 336 on base, 550 slugging, which in our deflated offense this year, that's a 143 WRC plus, right? He's been 43% better than league average. And so then you start immediately thinking like, yeah, but I'm sure his home run per fly ball rate is super inflated and it's high. It's 21.2%. But in his, in his prime, if you want to call it that, he was... You know, from 2015 to 2017, he was at like 14.1%. 21.2% is an improvement from that, but it's not totally crazy. He was at 20% last year in just 88 plate appearances, and he's hitting the ball harder. Like, he had a 111.9 max EV this year. He hasn't topped that since 2016. His hard hit and barrel rates are higher than they've ever been. So, I don't know. The next thing I go to look at then is, okay, well fine. His home run for fly ball rate is inflated, but not that crazy, but I'm sure he's got like a 430 BAPIP, right? No, 279. So like, I don't know, man, talk me out of Brandon Jury. Do you want to talk me out of Brandon Jury? Absolutely not. So I, I'm I'm, I'm going to plant my flag here with Brandon Jury. Every, everything about him is different. But if you look at his patience at the plate, he is a completely different hitter at the plate. He is way more patient at the plate. And like, I could bring up the numbers, but anything you could think of, zone uh, zone swing percentage, any of that stuff, first pitch swinging. He is much more patient at the plate. It's showing in the walk rate. You know, you brought up the the home run to fly ball rate and you're right. Like, obviously that's going to come down, but he's pulling the ball almost 50% of the time. Like if you're pulling the ball and you have a launch angle of six of 14.1, which he does the second highest of his career with a decent average exit velocity of, of just over 90 miles an hour. Like it makes sense that a lot of those balls are going to go over the fence and like everything he's done to this point is backed up, right? Like the Woba is 392. Well, the expected Woba is 382. The slugging 550, the expected slugging is 561. 
the batting average 260, the expected batting average is 268. Like to this point, what he has done by all accounts is legit. There's nothing fluky about it. So now it's, well, what can he continue to do? Well, if he's a completely different hitter at the plate and he's pulling the ball a lot more and the average exit velocity is up, tell me why he can't continue this, especially in that ballpark, which we just talked about is like bringing relevancy to Mike Moustakis. <laughs> um, the K rate is survivable. It's 23%. That's not great, but it's definitely not bad. And again, the walk rate is is a career high, 9.2%. He is completely different. I'm, I'm in on Brandon Drury. I would spend decent fab dollars on him if he's even still available. Yeah, I was looking at my auto new leagues, and he is he is not available in five of the six. So only only in one of them is he available. I, I'm debating whether or not I should be making trade inquiries. And he's the kind of guy that I think you have to be careful about how you trade for him. Um, because he is the kind of guy that if you're just like, if you reach out to someone, you're like, I would like to pick up Brandon Drury. It's going to be, anyone's going to look at that and be like, well, that's interesting. Why are you so, why are you so excited about him? Um, but he, you know, we've talked about this before on the show, like he's the kind of guy that I want to reach out to a team and say like, Hey, I need, you know, depending on what he's eligible at in that league. Cause he's got like, I think in auto new he's, um, second base, third base and outfield. He is. And, and I think that's, I mean, I'm just gonna pull up, let's see what he's played this year. Cause I haven't, I didn't take a closer look at that, but I'm going to pull up his fielding data so far this year. He's got one game at first base. So that's not, not necessarily going to get you first base eligibility, but he has 11 starts at second base and 10 starts at third base. Um, in the outfield, he has nine starts. No, sorry. That's last year. He had nine starts. So he is, he's also made one appearance at shortstop this year. So if you play in a league where one appearance is good enough, that take those three innings and, <laughs> Start him as your shortstop, I guess. But as a second baseman and third baseman, and you know, almost every format, eleven starts, ten starts at those two positions will get you there. Plus, he may have outfield from last year. Like I, I would reach out to teams and and just sort of note what you're looking for and see who they've got. Like I'm looking at a team right now. I don't know if I don't know if this guy uh, in, in Auto New League One lifts, listens to Keeper Cut. If he does, Thad, turn this off for just a minute. Uh, Thad has. Max Muncy is first base, second base, third base. Ty France is first base, second base, third base. Eduardo Escobar also first, second, third. Jury second, third outfield. He's got Tommy Lastella, who he's waiting on from the IL, who's second and third. So he's got a bunch of these like second, third type guys. I might just ping him and be like, hey, I'm interested in adding some second base, third base depth. You know, if he wants to talk to me about Muncy or Ty France, who I'm, who I'm a fan of, great. I'll talk to you about Escobar too. But like, does Drury sort of come up as like, Okay, he sort of wants to sell high. I'm willing to buy a little bit high. And is there something to be, is there a deal that can be done there without it getting too crazy? Without just sort of telling him like, I think Brandon Jury's legit. Can I get him from you? So yeah, you get a much, much better shot that way. Yeah. (laughs) So I'd be looking. I I agree. I think, and and you actually like, I came into this like, yeah, I think Brandon Jury might be legitimate. And then you've got me, you've got me sold. So Let's go to one more guy who's really turned things around in a positive way. And that's Trey Mancini. And and Mancini had, he had a slow start, but it was a start that like, if you look and looked at what was going on, like his stat cast data looked good and his plate discipline, like his strikeout rate is a career low right now. He's not walking quite as much, but it's 
He has a 7.5% career walk rate. His walk rate as of right now is 6.9%. It's nothing crazy, but he's he's chasing a little bit less than he has in the past. He's making a little bit more contact than he has in the past. His swing strike rate would be a career low. And his stat cast data looked good. He was hitting the ball pretty well and just wasn't getting the results. And then over the last couple of weeks, he started to get those results. And I'm, I, I you know, you and I talked a lot about Mancini in the offseason because he was so good for a little while last year and then had that recurrence scare and then seemed to fade down the stretch. And like that really pulled down his overall line. And I just like I, I want Trey Mancini. Yep, absolutely. He was dropped in a few of my leagues after that slow month. And, you know, you kind of understand it because, like you said, he really trailed off last year. But I thought you kept making a good point. Like, hey, this guy had cancer and he came back. And it makes sense that maybe he just kind of ran out of energy. And we looked at the first month's numbers. And I said this before, right? There were three three guys that really stood out as being unlucky. Luis Robert, Jesse Winker, Kyle Tucker. It seems like everything's kind of reversed for those guys. The next most unlucky hitter, in my opinion, when you looked at those numbers, like you kind of said there, was Trey Mancini. And it's all coming around. Since May has started, he only has one extra base hit. That is a homer. And not that this is going to make people feel better, but he's clearly being impacted um, by the the new left field in Baltimore. His expected home runs in Baltimore is two. Almost everywhere else, except for Coors and Miami, and we've had this conversation about Coors before, where like it's just based on distance traveled, and that's it. And so obviously he would have more home runs at Coors, but they don't account for the altitude when looking at expected home runs. For example, if he if he played at Fenway, he'd have six home runs right now. So I wouldn't look at just two home runs through, you know, 120 plate appearances or whatever it is and think that's who Trey Mancini is. He is clearly um, looking at the underlying numbers, a guy who is somebody that you definitely want to pounce on. The quality of contact is there. The expected slugging is 523. So the fact that he only has one extra base hit since the beginning of May doesn't really concern me that much, even though that's, even though that's what counts, even though we don't count expected slugging percentage, like, there's still a bat there um, and he's somebody you, you could potentially get pretty cheap right now. Yeah. And you know, he's still, I mean, since if we use that, let's see, since uh, the beginning of May, since that's the cutoff you used, he has a 188 WRC plus, despite the fact that he's lacked extra base hits. A lot of that is BAPIP, right? He has a 457 BAPIP since then. But but that's almost just a correction from how bad it was in the first part of the season. Exactly. His BAPIP of the season is 348. And as a, a line drive hitter, like part of the reason he doesn't have a ton of home runs is he is not a big fly ball guy. He isn't like he's he will have more than this two home runs like that pace will increase, but he's not going to be a big power source, but he he hits the ball well and he puts it in play. And so he should run a decent BAPIP. Like I don't he doesn't I don't know, like last year, his BAPIP was 308. The year before that, it was 326, like 348 is high, but it's not crazy. He ran a 352 in 2017. His career BAPIP is a 319. So like he's going to run a reasonably high BAPIP. Um, I'm yeah, I, I think that I think that home run per fly ball rate will go up. I also think we one of the things that's been been weird. We've got this new ball with increased drag and then like the humidors and are the humidors. What are they doing? And one of the things that I've I found interesting is there's been some research Meredith Wills and Alan Nathan, like the the physicists and experts in science who have who have weighed in on the ball have commented that the humidors are like we are at a relatively low humidity part of the year in the United States which means that the humidors are actually not helping yet. 
in some cases they might even be hurting. Like there was a series in Oakland where, and I, Meredith Wills talked about this, where like the dew point, because the dew point was low, that the humidors were actually adding moisture to the ball. As the year goes on, the weather warms up, the ball travels further anyways, and the humidors are going to have a bigger and bigger impact. And so I think some of these guys with low home run for fly ball rates, like Mancini, are going to really benefit from those humidors in like July and August. And so now is the time to get in on that. One note on 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 him that's a little bit concerning is not the right word. It's just disappointing. As of April 29th, he had made five starts in the outfield, or sorry, four starts in the outfield. Be clear here. As of April 29th, he had made four starts in the outfield. He has not made one since. One more outfield start. That's all you need, Trey. One more. That'd be your five. That gets you eligibility in Auto New. It gets you eligibility in Yahoo. You just, I don't know if you have to like beg the coaching staff, let them know. Like it just has to be a start. Ask them if you could play one inning. First hitter. You could play the, you, you know, <laughs> one hitter in left field or right field. You can play center field. I don't even care. I don't think it'd be a good idea. They shouldn't put you in center field. But just give me that one inning as a starter, and then you can go back to first base in DH, and I'll be much happier. So that's my plea to the Baltimore coaching staff. Give this guy just <laughs> one more start, ideally soon, in the outfield. I could really use it. I'd be curious to ask an Orioles fan what the situation is there, because I'm sure they'd have a beat on it. But the starting left fielder is Tyler Nevin, so you have to imagine Mancini's going to get a start there at some point. Actually, the issue for him is not that they have so many great outfielders that there's nowhere to put him. I think the issue is that there's no reason to move him off of first base or DH. Uh, interesting. Like, right. So <laughs> like Mount Mountcastle could be like has been playing first base, which makes sense. But he can also play the outfield and he's on the IL. He's now injured right now anyways. But yeah. like if you look at their their active. Actually, let's, let's skip over the active roster. Let's look at the 40 man just so we include some injured guys who might be coming back. Like their first, their, their options at first base are basically Mountcastle Mancini. And like, that's it. Right. So, you know, you've got Austin Hayes is he's, he's a little banged up right now. He's been playing well in the outfield. Jorge Mateo has been playing outfield. Obviously you've got Mullins, you got Santan there. Like they have some guys, but those guys need days off. Like there's no, there's no reason there isn't room for Mancini in the outfield. The issue is like, if you were like, oh, let's push Trey Mancini to, to right field for a day because that makes room for us to have who at first base or DH. The answer is nobody. There's nobody. Yeah. So anyways, with that, let's take a quick break. and we come back, we'll, we'll flip the script a little bit and talk about some guys who have moved the other direction. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show 
All right, welcome back. We, we've spent most of our time so far talking about guys who have had cold starts and heated up. There's some guys at the other end of the spectrum here, and there's some names here that I'm I think were people were either victory lapping or at least getting very excited about early in the season who have really cooled off. And there's two names in particular where I feel like a lot of people were just like, yeah, I knew this guy was going to do this. Everything I expected. And I'm going to start with one who honestly I was high on. I was, I was drafting him a lot. I really believed in, in what he could do. And that's Francisco Lindor. I really thought Lindor would have a bounce back year. As of April 24th, he had a 422 Woba. It's been 206 since then. Is this just like, and now I'm even less sure what to make of Lindor because he's obviously capable of putting this back together, right? He's obviously capable of doing what what he did before. He did it for three weeks to start the season. Are we just like, is it time to just admit that Lindor is never going to be back to that? Like forget the 368, 38, 368, well, but 38 home run season he had in 2018. Like, is it time to admit he's not really like a 25 home run guy anymore? That he's not going to put up like a 330 to 340 Woba anymore? Um, I mean, I've always been question questionable about the power with him. I, I thought that like his batted ball profile and, and all the scouting reports and stuff when he got first called up, which is, doesn't matter at this point, right? But it did at that time was like, he's not a power hitter. And then all of a sudden he starts mashing, you know, 30 plus homers for what was it? Three seasons in a row. And in retrospect, that coincided perfectly with when MLB was juicing the balls. And so I always thought like this guy was a benefit of that. But like, that's okay because he's older now. He's stronger now. Maybe he can still push some out. But now we're seeing the balls kind of take this opposite approach. And I thought what you said about the humidors was super interesting. So maybe maybe that power does come back. And to be fair, it did come back in the second half last year. He had nine home runs in the second half. We had 11 in the first. So if you just look at it that way, obviously he had less. But those nine home runs were just in 158 plate appearances. Um, so, like, I don't know. It still kind of is there. Um, and then you look at the first three weeks of this season. It's like, OK, yeah. So I'm not ready to jump off on Francisco Lindor. But I feel like I get, it's like another cop. We should just name this episode. Pete cops out of every answer. But like, I I need more. I need, I need more data of Francisco Lindor hitting the, the ball of this season to determine what he is as a power hitter, because it's unclear ever since he's become a Met, what he is as a power hitter. Um, am I buying him? No, I wasn't buying him at his draft clock, draft cost because I, I just, I didn't see the need, right? Like Lindor was going ahead of Corey Seager. Why? Because he's going to steal 10 more bags or whatever it is. I didn't agree with that. Um, and I liked some of the more younger names the further you went into the drafts. I just thought shortstop was too deep to take that risk. So now that he's not performing and it looks like last year, I'm definitely not going to start buying him now. But I don't think the people that drafted him need to start panicking yet. Um, and if anything, I think to this point, it's been promising because he did go on a, a stretch of looking like the old Francisco Lindor, which tells me maybe that's still in there. And I'm going to continue to ride it out and see as the weather gets hotter, if, if Lindor heats up as well. And I could be wrong in this. I'd have to look it up, but I feel like the Mets face a different ace like every day. And I, again, I could be dead wrong on that. I watched, way too many baseball games. But I feel like every time I turn on the mats, it's like, oh, now they're facing, you know, I don't know, Corbin Burns today. And 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 it just, if that's every day for them, which obviously it's not, then that's going to take it. That, that could definitely come up in a three-week stretch of numbers. Yeah, I think the thing that scares me a little bit with Lindor is like, you know, 
Last year, he had a 231 average or 230 average. He's at 231 right now. He had an 18.3% strikeout rate last year. That was a career high. He's at 18.8% this year. He actually had an 11.1% walk rate last year. It's down to 9.1% this year, which is closer to his career numbers. Like his line drive rate is within 1% of where it was last year. His fly ball rate is down. His home run per fly ball rate is down. Like he was, he was, he's been more aggressive outside the zone. His O swing is up after he was more patient last year. He was also more aggressive in the zone last year. And this year I was glad to see him being a little bit more patient, waiting for his pitches to hammer. That's that was still happening, but it's getting worse. Like, so he's getting back to swinging at pitches he doesn't need to swing at. And I don't know. I, I'm like, it just looks so much like last year all of a sudden that I'm, I'm real, I'm nervous. And, and I was buying him less in drafts and more in auctions. Cause I felt like in drafts he was going for, like you said, Corey Seager prices and in auctions, he wasn't for whatever reason, but yeah, I'm, I'm nervous. I, I don't, I, I think, I also just like Lindor. Like he's been one of my favorites since he came up with Cleveland and he's such a fun player. And, you know, the good thing for the Mets and for Mets fans is like, he's still on a four to five win pace because his defense is just so good. But man, he is, he just doesn't look like the bat we thought he was. And that's, that's frustrating. And at this point, I think, you know, I'd already given up on him getting back to his peak performance. I think I'm sort of, it's like I'm no longer even hoping for him to get back to what he was in like 2016, right? 2016, he had a 340 Woba, 301 average, 358 on base, 435 slugging, 15 home runs. Like that, I'm not even sure he necessarily gets back to that. I think he'll have more than 15 home runs. I think he'll be closer to 20 home runs, but with a lower average, a lower on base percentage, and down to a point where he's like a barely above average bat. And if he's a barely above average bat, like that doesn't play at shortstop right now for fantasy. It's fine for the Mets because his defense, like I said, is good enough. Like if he's, if he's a 103 to 108 WRC plus bat and plays the kind of defense he plays great, he'll be super valuable. That contract is not a problem, but man, the offense just for fantasy. Yeah. I don't feel good about it. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it was people banking on on the speed and based on last season I just don't know if that's going to be there. Like, you know, if you're banking on 30 plus homers, then you probably shouldn't have been doing that. But if you're banking on like 15 plus steals, I, like I get that. And and to be fair, what he has four stolen bases this year, but I don't think that's going to continue if he continues to struggle at the plate. Obviously, you need to be on base to steal bases. Uh, and, and that could definitely be an issue for him. So in those five by five leagues where you were banking on a decent chunk of your steals coming from Francisco Lindor, you might, but you also might end up with, you know, 10 to 12 like you had last year, which is, I mean, replacement level. Yeah. So another guy that people were super excited about, and, and this is a guy who I had made a bold prediction that he'd be available in something like 75% of Yahoo or auto. Sorry. I made a bold prediction that he'd be available in like 75% of auto new leagues at some point in the next year because he'd get cut. And then he came out like gangbusters. That's Seiya Suzuki. So Suzuki started off as of the, the April 24th arbitrary date, I said had a 493 Woba. It is a 211 Woba since then. And I, so my, my take on Suzuki from the beginning, when I said that I thought he'd be cut in you know 75% of leagues, that was based on two things. 
One, I thought at some point the league would adjust to him and he'd go through, he'd, he'd struggle. The other is, I think moving from Japan to the US is hard. Like not just from a baseball perspective, but it's it's hard to be in a new country where you you're you're not in the culture and the language you expect to be in that you've grown up around. And like I think that's a challenge. And I think we've seen like Haseon Kim is a great example of this, is a guy who came over from not from not from Japan, but from Korea and really struggled last year. You had a bunch of people sort of write him off, and now he looks great. And I think a big part of that was it just takes time to adjust to a new league and a new country and a new culture. I expected we'd see that with Suzuki, but it didn't look like it at first. And now, like, have pitchers just adjusted to him? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna obviously guess that that's that's what it is. And you know how I feel about situations like this, where you know, I, I'm trying to think. Of, we had a conversation about this with um, Adelise Garcia, right? And it looks like I was wrong. You know, Adelise Garcia is not looking like a standard. I have him for $3 in our keeper cut. Otney, we'll see if I hold on to him there. But where it was like this guy comes out like gangbusters, like you said, looks awesome. The league adjusts. And now I want to see the professional hitter adjust back. Because if Suzuki is as good as, as he was hyped up to be, and I have every reason to believe that he was, well, now let's see how he adjusts back to, to pitchers. And I'd have to dive into the batted ball data and the approach that pitchers have taken on him to see really what the difference is. And I, I don't know that offhand. Um, I can tell you he's obviously struggled with off-speed pitches where he's batting literally zero on them, uh, but that's only 55 pitches. So can he make an adjustment back this season, I guess, is ultimately the question. Like long-term, I'm still interested in say Suzuki. Just like long term, you know, you, you mentioned the difficulty of moving over from Japan to the United States. I'm still kind of interested in Haseon Kim. You know, he had an awesome three run homer the other day, and he's he's another guy who is clearly having a better season so far in his second year than he was in his first. And I still kind of feel the same way about say Suzuki. But if after that first month you're banking on like, oh sweet, this is a cornerstone of my team, I don't know if that's going to be the case. The one promising thing is the plate discipline, which he will always have in his corner. That's who he was hyped up for. You know, the 29% strikeout rate is not good. That's obviously very bad. But I'm talking about that 14.3% walk rate, um, which can't be an easy thing to do your first season in the big leagues. And yet he's doing it, which tells me that there's something there. But man, I, I don't know what you do with him at this point. If you spent too much money on him in Otnew and you're looking to win this year, then yeah, I'm probably looking to cut because I don't think you're going to convince somebody to take on the full boat of the contract and maybe somebody claims him and you, and you get that alleviated but in redraft I'm, I'm i'm trying to hold on but i'm benching him and in keeper leagues like i i'm, I'm just holding on because i i still think there's talent in the bat but you're right there's a lot of concern here yeah so he is suzuki has been swinging a lot more so his chase rate for up until the 24th of april and actually i'm gonna go back a couple days before that his chase rate up through the 22nd of April because he actually got cold earlier than the 24th. He has a 12.5% chase rate, 12.5% chase rate. That's awesome. From the start of the season through April 22nd from April 23rd until today, his chase rate is 31%. That is a huge jump in his chase rate. His overall swinging rate has gone up as well. So he's swinging more in the zone. His contact rate, has gone up on pitches outside the zone, but down on pitches in the zone. So he's making, he's swinging at more bad pitches and making more contact with pitches that like one of the problems with O contact rate is you're making contact with pitches that are harder to drive. Right. And so he's making less good contact and 
pitchers actually like it's almost a little scary. Pitchers don't seem, at least on terms of pitch type, and, and we should really like we should be diving into um you know where they're locating pitches and things like that, because there are there are things other than just pitch type that go into how a pitcher attacks a hitter. But using that same date, since April 22nd, he has seen 47.8% fastballs. Before April 22nd, he was seeing 51.1% fastballs. Now that is a change, but it is not a very big change, right? You're, you're talking about a, a handful of pitches that like one, one plate appearance today where he gets multiple fastballs could flip that back pretty quickly. So he's seeing a little bit, he's seeing a, you know, a slightly smaller number of fastballs, but not like some crazy amount. He's seeing fewer sliders and more curveballs. Curveball versus slider is more likely to be a question of which pitchers you're facing than a decision. Like, yes, there are some pitchers who may be choosing to throw you a slider instead of a curve, but it's also a lot of just like this pitcher throws a slider instead of a curve or vice versa. He's seeing a little bit more in terms of change-ups. Uh, he's seeing more cutters. I don't know if there's a lot to read into there, but like he's just, it's not a huge shift. It's not like, like one of the things I thought I might see looking at Suzuki was that all of a sudden he went from 50% on fastball rate down to like 40%. And pitchers were just pitching him backwards and and pounding him with with breaking stuff. It doesn't seem like a viable strategy with him because he wasn't chasing, but now he is chasing. And so I don't know. I, I It makes me a little nervous that what we're actually seeing is like, you noted he isn't hitting breaking balls very well. We now are seeing him chasing more. And pitchers putting that together are going to be like, all right, well, I'm going to throw him like, I'm going to throw him sliders and curveballs that dive out of the zone. He'll chase them and he can't hit them. And if that continues to happen, this could get worse before it gets better. So you know, I'm not writing Suzuki off. I, I have been a believer. And like I said, I feel this way about, about Kim that he's a guy who, where you want to have him on your roster and is, is at the price he costs in August or September of this year, or maybe even in auctions next year, not at the price he costs now. And I, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll adjust back, but I think it might take a while. I don't think we've seen, like, I think we, we haven't, we've seen, what we've seen so far, I don't think is the league adjusting. I think what we've seen so far is regression from him. And when the league adjusts and adds to that, I just think this could be a prolonged downturn for him. It definitely could be. And and we're up against it. But I do want to bring up his zone charts because, you know, you brought up the uh, the breaking balls again. And what do those do? Will they go down in the zone? And if you look at how lefties and righties are attacking, say, a Suzuki, his his K percentage is at its worst. His total pitches and pitch percentage are are most significant in the bottom of the zone. Righties are attacking him down and away. Lefties are attacking him down and in, and he is getting pulverized there. Um, and so he, whether that's the league adjusting or it's just more him regressing, it's almost besides the point. He's going to have to figure out how to either take more pitches down or square them up more, which obviously he's not doing. And obviously he's swinging at these a lot because, like you said, his, his O swing is really high. Um, but he has to adjust to those, those, and not just breaking balls, but anything down below the zone um, because that is absolutely where he's being killed. It's tough with this because sample sizes this early in the season broken up by zone is incredibly small. 
But in the early going, it looks like that's what's giving him so much trouble. It's interesting because his I, I, I took a look at that same zone map and he's actually getting more pitches up in the last couple of weeks than he did before. So I'm just looking at for the season. I don't even know. Yeah, how yeah, to no, I agree. I, I saw the same thing. And so I was like, oh, I wonder if that's like maybe there's been maybe that's how pitchers have changed how they've attacked him. And it isn't. They've actually they're attacking him up a little bit more. And he seems to have it's a little hard for me to tell if he's been maybe he's been worse on pitches down or maybe I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out like with the strikeouts he has. I don't, yeah. I don't know how to. Yeah, his for the season. Let's see if we can get the season for the season on his ISO per per ball in play. So when he makes contact on pitches down versus up. So his ISO is much higher when he makes contact on pitches up in the zone. His strike percentage on pitches up in the zone is a, it's not, it's not that different. Just trying to see if there's any, like, let's look at ISO per pitch up in the zone versus down. That's a little higher too. That's interesting. I, yeah, you're, so you're right. They have been overall pounding him down. That does seem to be an effective place to go. He is pretty strong down and in, but he's he's been yeah. down. It's it's a challenge for him on pitches down, but he's getting more pitches up in the last couple of weeks, according to this. So I, I don't know. I, I'm I am worried pitchers will adjust that when they adjust, this will get worse. Uh, I do think it eventually will get better. I think he is too talented to just not hit, but. I'm not buying right now. I, I'm I'm actually waiting because I think this is I think the slump is going to continue, and I think there'll be a better buying opportunity later in the year. Yeah, now's a really hard time to buy because, like you said, it could get it could get worse from here. Yeah. Anyone else you want to talk about before we wrap up? Um, I I didn't have much. I guess one final footnote um, is on Ty France, who since we last spoke, you kind of convinced me, and I've actually come around him. I think I think Ty France is just good, and I don't know why it took me so long to accept that. Um, he hit 337 in April and he's hit 314 so far in May. He's just a contact hitter. He's a guy who could kind of low key contend for a batting title. And I don't think I was ever in denial about that. He had five home runs in April and so far in May, he has none. Um, and, you know, like you said, he, he was a 20 home run hitter last year and he certainly could replicate that. But he's not he's not a five home runs per month kind of guy. Um, and I could see that continuing to regress a little bit. So if you're banking on, you know, a 25 to 30 homer season from Ty France based on April, I think we're seeing in May that he's pretty much what most probably expected him to be. And it's not that much of a power hitter. That was a 25% home run to fly ball rate in April. So obviously that was, that was due to come down. Yeah. I was hoping for more of a power breakout from him. So I was sort of excited to see that, but I think you're right. I think like his, his stack S data doesn't suggest there's a huge power breakout coming, anything like that. And so I, I think I really like France. I think if you could sell 25 to 30 home run France, you should. And if you can buy 20 home run France with a 300 average, you should. And so yeah, I agree that's, with that. that's sort of, that that's sort of where I would be on him. But with that, we are going to wrap up. Thank you all for listening. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Keeper Cut. You can follow Pete at Pete B Baseball. You can follow me at Chad Young. Once you finish listening to this, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Remember to subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Definitely want to hear from you. So follow up with us. Let us know what we should be covering. If you got questions for us, hit us up. We love to answer questions. Hope you have a good week and we'll talk to you next week.